Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I have wine. I am happy. <laughs> yes, welcome back, campers. It is wine o'clock. It is wine o'clock because it's like... If that's your thing. It, I, I mean, it's my thing. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows, um, and it is currently almost 10.30 at night as we record this, so I have been very good and, like, milked, like, half a glass during the Golden Globes, <laughs> so I wouldn't be slurring my words during your podcast recording. Which so. is good. You're welcome, listeners. This week, you're reading, so I am. if you're all slurry... I know, and I knew that, so I, like, I poured, like, little, like, quarter glasses twice, <laughs> and I was just like, cheers every time somebody won, and then... Now I have a full glass, and uh, cheers to you listeners. So, Golden Globes. Yeah. Uh, any surprises? Uh, well, uh, my mom just texted me. She's like, I can't believe Hamilton didn't win. And I was like, and we were just talking about it downstairs, and like, I don't think Lin-Manuel Miranda expected it to win, because unlike all the other films in that category, it was not filmed to be a film. It was a film version of a Broadway show, which yeah. was very well done, but- was never going to be released. Well, it was going to be released, but like in like a decade if COVID hadn't happened. Yeah. So it was weird that that was going up against like Borat, which, spoiler alert, Borat won, which was freaking hilarious, just like the first one. But this one was just so good. And I'm so glad that um, it won for uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's performance. And, well, no. Yes. <laughs> It won, it performance it won best picture, and best comedy best musical. Picture, comedy yeah. musical. Yeah. Um, because the Golden Globes separate comedy musical from drama. Which the which, Academy Awards should do. <laughs> which I appreciate. Yep. Um, and then both the Golden Globes and the Oscars need to start presenting awards in stunt categories because those fuckers work their asses off. I think there should be a category for like best extra. Because like. <laughs> Or like worst extra, because you like that'd be a fun category. I feel like that's a Razzie's category. I is, hope it is. Is extras <laughs> who ruined the shot, <laughs> most egregious overacting in the background, in the uh, uh, non SAG background. Work. And it's okay for me to make fun of these because people I've done because it because I am one. <laughs> so much. Um, it's the person who graduated from musical theater school, booked a gig in the background of a major movie, and decided they were going to get their big break by impressing the director with their background work. Or it's the people that I met at background work that have never had a day of acting training in their life, but have decided at some point in their life that they're going to be an actor, and this was their way in. <laughs> yeah. So, Golden Globes, having a glass of wine, you're having a beer. Yep. Uh, thank you, Jeff and Ashley left those from last week, the Breckenridge. Oh, they brought well, them from Colorado. Thank you, thank you, Jeff and Ashley, for leaving these behind. Yeah, this they're good. This is the Avalanche Amber Ale from Breckenridge Brewery. Yeah, it's good. I've had it. Caramel malt body with a light hop character. Mm-hmm. Yum. Yeah, Colorado's got some that good beer. That was unsolicited advertising. <laughs> if you You're want to welcome, sponsor us. Breckenridge Brewery. We do a lot of that. Although, speaking of uh, promotions, do we have a promotion to share this week? We do indeed have a trailer. Um, this is for Figure It Out podcast with Julia Johnson. I'm going to let her tell you all about it. All right. 
Hey there, listeners. Are you looking for a podcast that talks about mental health, hot mess moments, embarrassing moments, and relatable moments? Then my podcast is the one for you. Check out Figure It Out with host Julia Johnson. That's me. Um, I have really funny guests on and we just talk and chat and relate and I hope you can too. If you're interested, my podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, I like her. I like her. Uh, her mellow vibe. She's got a great, yeah. like great energy. Great, very, very chilled out vibe. I like it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's this is the first promo we've had that's not true crime. Is <laughs> 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 interesting. We're branching out. We're branching out. Yay! So yes, please go check out Julia's uh, podcast um, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna see if maybe like we can be on it because I like to talk about my mental health. That's for sure. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, Julia. Uh, Julia Heather has things to say. Reach reach out. Um, you you're looking you're looking for funny outspoken guests who like to chill out and talk about mental health. Hi. <laughs> we have a degree in theater, which is basically means we've two, well we have like 3 degrees in theater. Between the two of us, I think we have 7 degrees in theater. Something like that. So yeah, um and if anyone is listening that has done theater or has been to theater school, they say it's not therapy, but they're lying. Well, what what is it? <laughs> theater isn't therapy. Yes. But it's pretty therapeutic. But it's super fucking therapeutic. Yep. So, uh, yeah, go check out uh, Figure It Out podcast, and uh, maybe we'll be popping up there sometime soon. So, yay. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of mental health, I'm going to drink some more wine. All right. Well, (laughs) while you do that, how about I tell you a little bit about what you're going to be reading this week? That's right. I'm going to read a a, a little story. A little story. A little ditty. A bit of a, a, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. A tale. <laughs> a tale. A yarn. A yarn. You're going to be reading a yarn. I'm not doing an Irish accent in this one, am I? Uh, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> good. I don't think so. Our playwright is, am- or our playwright, our, playwright. our author is American. Oh, well, good. Let's hope that there's no Germans, at least. Uh, so, Olivia Howard Dunbar. Ooh, a lady. Was born in 1873 in West Bridgeport, Massachusetts. She is an American short story writer, journalist, and biographer, best known today for her ghost fiction. <gasps> Stories I know are my you favorite. Like the ghost stories. <laughs> um, so this, much like last week, this is a woman who there just there wasn't a ton of information on her available. Her Wikipedia page was like four sentences long. I love that our last two authors are people that are just like undiscovered gems. Like they were popular at the time, but then they kind of fell between the cracks for whatever reason. And yeah. Yeah, this uh, is great. So today's fun facts came a little bit from Wikipedia, from the Library of America's Story of the Week. Okay. Uh, from Dunbar's obituary, and from her essay, The Decay of the Ghost in Fiction, which I'm going to talk about a bit during the fun facts. Okay. All right. So, uh, as I said, Dunbar was born in Massachusetts, 1873. She graduated from Smith College, after which she worked in newspaper journalism. 
So she was a working woman at a very like yeah. age where that was not a thing. Yep, she, she hit the ground running. What a badass. Uh, she worked for the New York World, during which time she penned an expose on Mary Baker Eddy and Christian science. Christian science as in like... Scientology? Not the same thing. I always confuse. I always confuse. Them. But but um, <laughs> they neither of them likes medical health, like the medical field for um, whatever reason. A, a similarly, I don't I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but a similarly peculiar religious choice. The the Christian scientists. Okay, they, I'll have to watch their documentary next. I'm mm. deep in Leah Remini's right now. <laughs> About Scientology. Um, as a short story writer and critic, she was published in many popular periodicals of her time, including The Dial and Harper's Magazine. All right. Uh, Dunbar wrote several ghost stories as well as a 1905 essay, The Decay of the Ghost in Fiction, defending the subgenre of ghost fiction. Okay. In it, she said, quote, Ever since literature began, what we call the supernatural has been the staple material of the tellers of tales. She talked about the tradition we've discussed on this podcast of telling ghost stories, especially around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, she discussed how many ghost stories used to appear in magazines in America and the UK, but then went on to say... But suddenly, and it must surely have seemed mysteriously, the magazine ghost vanished, nor were its eerie footprints traced. So she was talking about how in the early 20th century, ghost stories just kind of disappeared. People weren't writing that sort of horror short story anymore. And she came out. Um, asking why asking why and defending it as like no ghost stories are not passe there's a reason they were all the rave yeah Um, the whole article is actually very interesting and asks not only that ghost stories be brought back into mainstream literature but it also asserts that actual belief in ghosts was at an all-time high at that time interesting so that like contradicts itself. So the only thing I can think is that because of the turn of the century um, and it being such a big like time and like the industrial revolution, like, like, like electricity and like there was a lot of scientific advances happening then. Yeah. So maybe that's where people were writing more in like the sci-fi genre as opposed to ghosts. That's like, that's immediately where my brain went and like, where did the ghost stories go? Yeah. That instead of the unknown, now people were writing about the possible. I don't know, but that that's where my brain went. But like, I love a good ghost story, so bring it on. Yeah. Well, fortunately, her call for more supernatural stories actually was answered over the next several decades. And after her essay came out, uh, magazines noted an uptick in new stories of the supernatural being submitted uh, and and short stories written to publishers, particularly by women. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> so we can we can thank her for <laughs> Uprise in Women Writers and what is now the Travel and Discovery Channel, which is just all paranormal uh, investigators. <laughs> ghost adventurers, ghost hunters, ghost explorers, uh, search for Bigfoot. This one's different. That one's stupid. 
It's still a supernatural searching thing. That one's funny. What confuses me is how many of those are on Travel Channel. They're on the Travel Channel. I'm like, why? Like, I'm like, can you show, especially during COVID, I'm like, go to like Italy and just take pictures so I can feel like I'm going somewhere. Go anywhere. Go to freaking Jersey. I well, don't care. Stanley Tucci's taking care of that for you. That's on CNN. So like, good job, CNN. So travel is now news, and, and ghost stories are now travel. Well, and but aliens Bravo, have also been history for decades. And so. Bravo and MTV are now all reality shows about spoiled white people. So you know, yeah, yeah it's, the whole, the world turned upside down, as Hamilton so, says. So uh, Dunbar was active in the women's suffrage movement. Of course, she was. And her work has been noted by critics and reviewers to contain strong feminist themes. Boom, girl. Uh, she married the poet Ridgely Torrance in 1914. He would go on to become, in 1917, the first American playwright to feature an all-black cast in a non-minstrel production on Broadway. Fuck yes. What play? The show was called Three Plays for a Negro Theater. I remember that. We studied that in Felicia's class. Did we? We talked about that. Oh, I believe we you. We definitely talked about that in Felicia's class. Um, that was our theater I, history class. I was in and out of that class. So cool. So first of all, she didn't get married until she was like almost 40. Uh, 41. Yeah. So that is unheard of in the time. And she's got an awesome, like, writer husband who's, like, super progressive and, like, inclusive. Love that. Love this. That's a power couple. Yeah, they got married. Uh, They they both continued to work. She continued to fight for women's suffrage. Uh, She finally passed away in 1953. All right. She was almost 80. 80 80 or 81, depending on the month. Good job. What a badass. Uh, So, the story you're going to be reading today came out in 1908, three years after that essay she published, and it is called The Shell of Sense. The Shell of Sense. So, my great-grandmother was born in 1900, and she passed away when she was 101. So, she could have actually read this when it was published, because she was eight years old. And, like, kids love ghost stories. Yeah. So that's why I'm going to imagine that my great-grandmother, Lola Peterson, read this. I, I have no idea what the writing level is at, so it's possible that her reading this as an eight-year-old would have been traumatic. Possibly. Um, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's start this fire. Let's do it. Ah, it's good. The Shell of Sense by Olivia Howard Dunbar. It was intolerably unchanged, the dim, dark-toned room. In an agony of recognition, my glance ran from one to another of the comfortable, familiar things my earthly life had been passed among. Incredibly distant from it all, I essentially was. I noted sharply the very gaps that I myself had left in my bookshelves stood still unfilled that the delicate fingers of the ferns that I had tended were still stretched futilely toward the light, that the soft, agreeable chuckle of my own little clock, like some elderly woman with whom conversations had been automatic, was undiminished. Holy shit, this is a ghost story from the point of view of the ghost. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she, like, just died. Like, is this, like, that moment in, like, Ghost the Movie where he's, like... He's looking around. He's like, 
Oh shit, that's oh. my body. I'm dead, damn it. I didn't agree to this. This is stupid. Unchanged, or so it seemed at first. Oh, so it's more like Beetlejuice. Like when they come home and like life's like da 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 and then they try and leave and there's a sandworm outside. And they're like, what the fuck? Unchanged, or so it seemed at first. But there were certain trivial differences that shortly smote me. The windows were closed too tightly, for I had always kept the house very cool, although I had known that Teresa preferred warm rooms, and my work basket was in disorder. It was preposterous that a small a thing should hurt me so. She's she's an OC she was an OCD person in life and she her shit's all like a muck. Who the fuck is Teresa? Yeah, I want to know who Teresa is. Are we making the um unfounded assumption at this point that the ghost is a woman? Yes. Cuz they they have not been gendered yet, they but been I gendered do, yet. but I always assume if a woman's writing it they're writing writing a woman. Gonna, yeah. I always assume a man's writing a man too. Yeah. Like, but that was we did that with with I know, Mary Pask. I know. We assumed the and it the was a guy. Like halfway, a woman. halfway through the story, we're like, <laughs> I think this is a guy because the little the carriage boy called him sir. Yep. We were like, is carriage boy a little dim or are we we reading this wrong? <laughs> is is carriage boy a little dim or oh fuck, we're am a I a little dim? dim? We're a little dim. <laughs> Damn it. So, yes, we do not know the gender of this this ghost hey, yet. Gender's confusing. They're ghosts and they can be whatever they want. I imagine we will find out. I imagine they will get gendered at some point in this story. Then, for this was my first experience of the shadow-folded transition, the odd alteration of my emotions bewildered me. For at one moment, the place seemed so humanly familiar, so distinctly my own proper envelope that... For love of it, I could have laid my cheek upon the wall. Well, in the next, I was miserably conscious of a strange new shrillness. How could they be endured? And had I ever endured them? Those harsh influences now that I perceived at the window, light and color so blinding that they obscured the form of the wind, tumult so discordant that one could scarcely hear the roses open in the garden below? So is everything loud? Everything's loud and bright and, and just not... Something's off. Like, yeah, everything's... not what... Not what she remembers. Not what it was like they, in life. They remember. We still don't know. Um, yeah. Or, like, they didn't notice that when they were alive, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I suppose it would be very jarring. But Teresa did not seem to mind any of these things. Who the fuck's Teresa? <laughs> Who's this bitch? <laughs> Who's Teresa? Why is she locking up the windows and making a mess and she doesn't care about anything? But Teresa did not seem to mind any of these things. Disorder, it is true. The dear child had never minded. Oh, it's a child. Or maybe? Or it's a patronizing way to talk like, about a oh, woman. Another person. Disorder, it is true. The dear child never minded. She was sitting all this time at my desk. At my desk. Occupied, I could only too easily surmise how. In the light of my own habits of precision, it was plain that so sombre. Sombre. It's, it's not som. Well, oh, is it sombre? <laughs> it was the R and the E. Sombre. It looks like sombre. It looks like sombre. Yeah, it looks. It's like spelled like ombre, but it's. 
I hate the English language. It is terrible. In the light of my own habits of precision, it was plain that somber correspondence should have been attended to before. But I believe that I did not really reproach Teresa, for I knew that her notes, when she did write them, were perhaps less perfunctory than mine. She finished the last one as I watched her and added to it a heap of black boarded envelopes that lay on the desk. Poor girl. I saw now that they had cost her tears. Okay, so is this his, like, their wife or their, like, chambermaid? Or uh, we're going to find out, I guess. Or child? Or child. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. give Give us some relationship. Yet, living beside her day after day, year after year, I had never discovered what deep tenderness my sister possessed. Sister. There we go. (laughs) You ask and you shall receive. Toward each other, it had been our habit to display only a temperate affection, and I remember having always thought it distinctly fortunate for Teresa, since she was denied my happiness, that she should live so easily and pleasantly without emotions of the devastating sort. And now, for the first time, I was really to behold her. Could it be Teresa, after all, this tangle of subdued turbulences? Let no one suppose that it is an easy thing to bear, the relentlessness sleep. It's a good tangle of words. The relentlessly lucid understanding that I should first exercise. God damn it. God damn it. There's so many words. Apparently, she's very poetic. She's very smart, and she wants to make sure you know it. It's very pretty, but it's a lot to just like. I would like to point out it is neither Irish nor German. You're welcome. Or Scots. (laughs) Could it be Teresa, after all, this tangle of subdued turbulences? Let no one suppose that it is an easy thing to bear this relentlessly lucid understanding that I then first exercised, or that, in its first enfranchisement, the timid vision does not yawn for its old screens and mists. Made it through. I got there. Suddenly, as Teresa sat there, her head, filled with its tender thoughts of me, held in her gentle hands, I felt Alan's step on the carpeted stair outside. Who the fuck's Alan? I'm going to go with husband. Her husband or ghost husband. Ghost husband. Okay. Because she said something about Teresa uh, didn't have what I had or something like that. Yeah. Something about the phrasing. I was like, oh, so ghost is married. Teresa never got married. Uh, She's like the like spinster sister. And okay. That's my guess. I'm guessing we'll know soon. Teresa felt it too. But how? For it was not audible. She gave a start swept the black envelopes out of sight and pretended to be writing in a little book. Then I forgot to watch her any longer in my absorption in Alan's coming. (laughs) Ghost sex, ghost sex puns, ghost sex puns. (laughs) I stopped watching my sister because I was so absorbed in Alan's coming. And not... Not Alan Cumming. I'm often absorbed in Alan Cumming, too. Alan Cumming's pretty great, so I'm just saying. She was 
absorbing Alan's coming. <laughs> so she stopped paying attention to her sister. There it is. That's that's what happened. That's that's what she wrote. That's what she said on paper. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new one. That's what she said. That's, that's what, what she, she wrote. wrote. Then I forgot to watch her any longer in my absorption in Alan's coming. It was he, of course, that I was awaiting. It was for him that I had made this first lonely, frightened effort to return, to recover. It was not that I supposed he would allow himself to recognize my presence, for I had long been sufficiently familiar with his hard and fast denials of the invisible. (laughs) He was so reasonable always, so sane, so blindfolded. But I had hoped that because of his very rejection of the ether that now contained me, I could perhaps all the more safely and more secretly watch him, linger near him. He was near now, very near. But why did Teresa, sitting there in the room that had never belonged to her, appropriate for herself... Appropriate for his self, his coming? Appropriate? Oh, it's spelled the same. <laughs> God, I hate the English language. He was near now, very near. But why did Teresa, sitting there in the room that had never belonged to her, appropriate for herself his coming? Oh my God, this ghost is stalking her her ex-husband. ex-husband or her ex-lover or her sister's husband. We still don't know the relationships. <laughs> She's stalking someone named Alan and her sister's in her office. Yeah, because yeah. she said my office. My desk. But but we still don't know if the ghost is her. It could also still be a, a guy. Her Based on how she described how... The ghost described its relationship to its sister. Yes. I'm assuming sisters. It, it feels very, it feels like a very feminine description, but you know, we thought the same in Miss Mary Pask. Yeah. So let's find out. Continuing. It was so manifestly I who had drawn him, I whom he had come to seek. The door was ajar. He knocked softly at it. Are you there, Teresa? he called. He expected to find her then. There in my room? I... (laughs) Oh, shit! Jealous ghost. Here we go. Are you there, Teresa? He called. He expected to find her then? There in my room? I shrank back, fearing almost to stay. I shall have to finish in a moment, Teresa told him, and he sat down to wait for her. No spirit still unreleased can understand the pang that I felt with Alan sitting almost within my touch. Almost irresistibly, the wish beset me to let him, for an instant, feel my nearness. Then I checked myself, remembering, oh, observe. (laughs) That's not what it says. Then I... I can't read. Really, you today. broke yourself. <laughs> I broke myself because apparently my dyslexia is taking it's over tonight. In real hard. I have slight dyslexia. I think we talked about that on. It's usually with numbers, but sometimes B's and D's get still mixed up in my head. Sure. So I definitely just read absurd as 
absurd. <laughs> That's absurd. what I just said. <laughs> Which is not a word. Which isn't a word. It's amazing. Ah, uh, the human brain. Ah, yeah. uh, the English language. Ah, uh, wine. It's because you're left-handed. It is because I'm left-handed and I'm a redhead. I am of the devil. Yep. So <laughs> I also see things backwards. So I think I really am of the devil. <laughs> Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> then I checked myself, remembering, oh, absurd, piteous human fears that my too unguarded closeness might alarm him. It was, what a judgy ghost. <laughs> it was not so remote a time that I myself had known them, those blind, uncouth timidity, t- timidities? Timidities? Timidities. 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 Timmy titties. Timmy titties. <laughs> I had known once upon a time those Timmy titties. Once upon a time I knew Timmy titties. <laughs> I don't know them anymore. I don't know them anymore because I'm a ghost. Ghosts aren't allowed, Timmy titties. <laughs> well, no. Do these go away when I die? No, I'm those, cool with it. Those titties are not Timmy. <laughs> they do not go away. <laughs> the listeners are what? I assume I don't have to look up timidities. No. Okay. <laughs> it was not so remote a time that I myself had known them, those blind, uncouth timidities. I came, therefore, somewhat nearer, but I did not touch him. I merely leaned toward him and with incredible softness whispered his name. That much I could not have forborne. The spell of life was still too strong in me. But it gave him no comfort, no delight. Teresa, he called. (laughs) (laughs) She's sitting there like, Alan, Teresa! (laughs) God damn, stupid humans. Teresa, he called in a voice dreadful with alarm. And in that instant, the last veil fell and desperately, scarce believing, I beheld how it stood between them, those two. She turned to him, that gentle look of hers. Forgive me, came from him hoarsely, but I had suddenly the most unaccountable sensation. Can there be... Too many windows open? There's such a chill about, oh, he did feel it. Yep. So it was like, you don't have to believe. So it was like, Teresa! <laughs> like, nah! It was, it was, Alan. What Teresa! The fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? What's happening? There are no windows open, Teresa assured him. I took care to shut out the chill. You are not well, Alan. Uh, perhaps not. He embraced the suggestion, and yet I feel no illness apart from this abominable sensation that persists, persists. Teresa, you must tell me. Do I fancy it, or do you, too, feel something strange here? Oh, there is something very strange here, she half sobbed. There always will be. Good heavens, child, I didn't mean that. (laughs) <laughs> Whoa. Well, Alan's a bitch. 
He rose also, and... <laughs> also, given his last couple of line yeah. readings, um, Alan d- is being played by William Shatner. <laughs> He's got a lot of dashes and a lot of commas. <laughs> I'll just say that. It's William Shatner. Now I'm not going to attempt to William Shatner for the do rest of this. Do I fancy it? <laughs> something or... strange here. Do you feel something <laughs> strange. strange too? <laughs> oh, that's good shit. <laughs> good heavens, child! I didn't mean that. He rose and stood looking about him. I know, of course, that you have your beliefs and I respect them, but you know equally well that I have nothing of the sort. So don't let us conjure up anything inexplicable. (laughs) Hey, bitch, you're the one that shouted out to her and was like, it's cold. There's something weird going on. I know it's my sister's ghost. No, fuck you. There's no such thing as ghosts. stupid (laughs) woman. Ghost's gonna come get ya. I stayed impalpably, imponderably near him. That's two really fun I words in a row that I have never read out loud. Wretched and bereft though I was, I could not have left him while he stood denying me. What I mean, he went on in his low, distinct voice, is a special and almost ominous sense of cold upon my soul, Teresa. He paused. (laughs) Alan's a little dramatic. I just feel this pressure on my soul. (gasps) It's William Shatner in a pinter play. Yes. Beat, beat, pause. <laughs> Dear listener, um, if you didn't understand that joke, I'm really sorry. We say a lot of inside theater jokes, um, but if you do understand look it. Look up Pinter Pause. Look up a Pinter Pause or a Pinter Play because. <laughs> anyway. He paused. If. I were superstitious. If I were a woman, I should probably imagine it to seem a a presence. What a dick. Alan's a dick. If I were a woman, I'd be afraid because women are afraid. (laughs) Alan's going to get, Alan's going to get what's coming to him. I have a feeling. Teresa's going to stab him in the eye with a letter opener (laughs) and then he's going to be stuck with our ghost narrator. I hope so. He spoke the last word very faintly, but Teresa shrank from it nonetheless. Don't say that, Alan, she cried out. Don't think it, I beg you. I've tried so hard myself not to think it, and you must help me. You know it is only perturbed, uneasy spirits that wander. With her, it is quite different. She has always been so happy. She must still be. I listened stunned to Teresa's sweet dogmatism. For what blind distances came her confident misapprehensions, how dense, both for her and for Alan, was the separating vapor. Oh. I thought thought she was about to call her sister and her ex-husband dense. (laughs) 
<laughs> I did too. I was like, how dense of them. What stupid fuckers these people are. Alan frowned. I have a feeling Alan frowns a lot. Yeah. Don't take me literally, Teresa, he explained. And I, who a moment before had almost touched him, now held myself aloof and heard him with a strange, untried pity, newborn in me. I'm not speaking of what you call spirits. It's something much more terrible. He allowed his head to sink heavily on his chest. If I did not positively know that I had never done her any harm, I should suppose myself to be suffering from guilt, from remorse. Teresa, you know better than I, perhaps. Was she content always? Did she believe in me? Believe in you? When she knew you to be so good? When you adored her? She thought that. She said that? Then what in heaven's name ails me? Unless it is all as you believe, Teresa, and she knows now what she didn't know then, poor dear, and mine's. And then the longest dash I've ever seen in literature. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Mine's what? What do you mean, Alan? I, who with my perhaps illegitimate advantage saw so clear, knew that he had not meant to tell her. I did him that justice, even in my first jealousy. If I had not tortured him so by clinging near him, he would not have told her. But the moment came and overflowed, and he did tell her, passionate, tumultuous story that it was. During our life together, Alan's and mine, he had spared me, had kept me wrapped in the white cloak of an unblemished loyalty. (laughs) Unblemished loyalty. But it would have been kinder, I now bitterly thought, if, like many husbands, he had years ago found for the story he now poured forth some clandestine listener, I should not have known. But he was faithful and good, and so he waited till I, mute and chained, was there to hear him. Oh. This is why when people ask, would you rather be able to hear people's thoughts or, like, be invisible? I'm like, uh, absolutely be invisible. I do not want to know what goes on in people's heads. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. I already have OCD anxiety and make up what's in people's heads. So I don't... And what's actually in their heads? Probably worse. (laughs) Although you assume probably worse because of... Because I assume the worst most of the time. So well did I know him, as I thought. So thoroughly had he once been mine that I saw it in his eyes. I heard it in his voice before the words came. And yet... When it came, it lashed me with the whips of an unbearable humiliation, for I, his wife, had not known how greatly he could love. And that Teresa, soft little traitor, should in her still way have cared too. Where was the iron in her, I moaned within my stricken spirit, where the steadfastness? From the moment he bade her, She turned her soft little petals up to him 
and my last illusion was spent. They've been like fucking. They've been getting or, the gibbity on. Or at least he's been in love with her all along. Oh, no. It was intolerable. And nonetheless, so that in another moment she had, prompted by some belated thought of me, renounced him. Alan was hers, yet she put him from her, and it was my part to watch them both. Then, in the anguish of it all, I remembered, awkward, untutored spirit that I was, that I now had the great recourse. Whatever human things were unbearable, I had no need to bear. I ceased, therefore, to make the effort that kept me with them. The pitiless poignancy was dulled. The sounds and the light ceased. The lovers faded from me. And again, I was mercifully drawn into the dim, infinite spaces. Okay, so she's like, okay, I now know what's going on, but I don't have to be here. I can go wherever the fuck I want. So, so bye. she just stopped concentrating and poofed. <laughs> and went, wee. <laughs> Ghost away. There followed a period whose length I cannot measure, and during which I was able to make no progress in the difficult, dizzying experience of release. Earthbound, my jealousy relentlessly kept me. Though my two dear ones had forsworn each other, I could not trust them, for theirs seemed to be an affection of a more magnanimity. Magnanimity? Magnanimity. 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 Yeah, yeah, it's a bitch. <laughs> magnanimity. 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 Mag- magnanimity. 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 <laughs> uh, generosity. Though my two dear ones had forsworn each other, I could not trust them, for theirs seemed to be an affection of a more than mortal magnanimity. Without a ghostly sentinel to prick them with sharp fears and recollections, who could believe that they would keep to it? Of the effacy? Effacy? It's right on the page turn. Spell it. E F F I C A C Y. Effacy? Efficacy. Efficacy. The ability to produce a desired or intended result. Efficacy. Okay. Of the efficacy of my own vigilance, so long as I might choose to exercise it, I could have no doubt. For I had by this time come to have a dreadful exultation in the new power that lived in me. Repeated delicate experiment had taught me how a touch or a breath, a wish or a whisper, could control Alan's acts, could keep him from Teresa. I could manifest myself as palely as trans... Transent... Transently? Transiently. Transiently. Okay, so bitch about to like be like, I'm going back to Earth and I'm going to haunt the fuck out of well, him so he never sleeps with my sister. So she's she has learned, this is very ghost, she has learned yeah. that she can like, yeah, she can, she can, she can move reach the out penny. And, and touch him. She can whisper in his ear. Yeah, she, can, she can move the penny up the door. She can appear like a reflection. Yeah, yeah. 
and she's going to haunt the fuck out of him yep. so they never sleep together because if they feel that fear, then they're not going to feel comfortable. <laughs> Damn, girl. I could manifest myself as paley, as transiently as I thought. I could produce the merest necessary flicker, like the shadow of a just-opened leaf on his trembling, tortured consciousness. <laughs> Ghost pissed? And these unrealized perceptions of me he interpreted, as I had known that he would, as his soul's inevitable penance. He had come to believe that he had done evil in silently loving Teresa all these years, and it was my vengeance to allow him to believe this, to prod him ever to believe it afresh. <laughs> I like her. <laughs> How dare you look at my sister? I'm going to haunt you forever. Eat your brain from the inside. Yeah. I am conscious that this frame of mind was not continuous in me, for I remember, too, that when Alan and Teresa were safely apart and sufficiently miserable, I loved them as dearly as I ever had. <laughs> oh, no. I love them dearly as I ever had. More dearly, perhaps. More dearly, perhaps. <laughs> She's like, I was fine when I was they. I was alive, and they both loved me, but they were fucking unhappy all as the long time. As they were miserable. I was great. I was fine. They both loved me, and they were unhappy, and it was a great day in the country. For it was impossible that I should not perceive in my new emancipation that they were each of them, something more and greater than the two beings I had once ignorantly pictured them. For years, they had practiced a selflessness of which I could only scarcely have conceived, and which even now I could only admire without entering into its mystery. While I had lived solely for myself, these two divine creatures had lived exquisitely for me. They had granted me everything, themselves nothing. For my undeserving sake, their lives had been a constant torment of renunciation, a torment that they had not sought to alleviate by the exchange of a single glance of understanding. There were even marvelous moments when, from the depths of my newly informed heart, I pitied them. Poor creatures who withheld from the infinite solaces that I had come to know, were still utterly within that shell of sense, so frail, so piteously contrived for pain. Ooh. We get the title in a snippet of poetry. Yep. Uh, yeah, it breaks, like, it literally breaks into, uh, like, we get the still title utterly it. within that Space, like full line space, and then like indented shell of sense, so frail, so piteously contrived for pain. Yeah. <laughs> Poetry. Poetry. Poetry, bitches. That's how you highlight the title of your story. You give it its own paragraph. <laughs> so we're going to now give it its own theme song. Shell of sense. Shell of sense now. Shell 
of sand. It's the shell of sand, so, so frail, frail, so piteously <laughs> contrived for pain. <laughs> and the techno version. Shell, 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 shell of sense. So frail, so piteous, contrived for pain. My favorite part of that was... Was when I tried to beatbox. Uh, no, I was going to say my favorite part of that was the um, dubstep beat that I just dropped into it. <laughs> Can't wait to hear it. I'm very excited. Within it, yes, yet exercising qualities that so sublimely transcended it. Yet the shy, hesitating compassion that thus had birth in me was far from being able to defeat the earlier, earthlier emotion. The two I recognized were in a sort of conflict, and I, regarding it, assumed that the conflict would never end. That for years, as Alan and Teresa reckoned time, I should be obliged to withhold myself from the great spaces and linger, suffering, grudging, shaming where they lingered. <laughs> so this ghost is torn between feeling bad for her, her like sister and her, her sister husband. Her and her her widow. Her yeah, her widowed um, husband. And feeling Super jealous and competitive and bitter. She's like, well, I'm dead. So, I mean, I guess they can do whatever they want now because I'm dead. But, but also, fuck, what? Nope. He I'm never loved me and my sister? That's fucked up. <laughs> like, what would you do, listeners? Would you haunt them both or would you just move on and go hang out in like the eternal ice cream shop? It can never have been explained. I suppose, what, to devitalize perceptions such as mine, the contact of mortal beings with each other appears to be. Once to have exercised this sense-freed perception is to realize that the gift of prophecy, although the subject of such frequent marvel, is no longer mysterious. The merest glance of our sensitive and uncloyed vision can detect the strength of the relation between two beings— and therefore instantly calculate its duration. If you see a heavy weight suspended from a slender string, you know, without any wizardry, that in a few moments the string will snap. Well, such, if you admit the analogy, is prophecy, is foreknowledge. Huh. So prophecy isn't actually supernatural, it's just... Looking at Reading the way the things signs. are and going, well, fucking duh. Well, yeah. I mean, like, it's like back in, like, March of 2020 when, like, our leadership was like, it's just going to go away. And we're looking at every other country and going, I don't think it's just going to go away. I don't think so. Well, at least smart people. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, if you, like, look around you, if you pay attention to the signs, if you, like, I always say I have a little psychic tendency but I also have, like, a mental health issue that, like, makes me, like, see things in a way. Hyper-aware. I'm very hyper-aware of, like, people's emotions and, like, that kind of stuff. So, like, I can. I read, like, I read things that, like, other some people don't see. It's like the Queen's Gambit. She's really good at it. She can see this board. Um, I wish it was, like, for a good skill. It just makes me paranoid most of the time, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my superpower did something other than give me anxiety. Come, come 
MCU? Why'd you give me this power? This is the worst. What's, what What can you do? I have nervous breakdowns. Sometimes it gives me an upset tummy. Sometimes I poop a lot because of my tummy. Rejected heroes in the MCU. <laughs> Heather. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, where the hell was I in this crazy paragraph? I think she was pooping because of an upset tummy. <laughs> pooping because of her empathy. <laughs> I hate it when being a good person makes me poop. <laughs> I know. One time I'll tell you the story of when I was a kid. That I think I've told you this story, but I was so anxious and I didn't know what it was. And like I had really weird poops uh, during a like... Uh, a 4th of July celebration and I got really sick to my stomach because it was like very crowded and like I didn't like that kind of crowds and and then I got like I had like diarrhea in the, like the mall bathroom and it was the first time I remember it happening and um, I wouldn't let myself poop for like weeks <laughs> and my I was terrified to poop because my butt exploded. I didn't want it to happen again. I wouldn't, and my parents had to take me to the doctor. And they, and they gave me laxatives, and my dad and mom had to, like, I was, like, eight years old, maybe. They had to, like, hold me on the... T- oh, we're going to have to put, like, a... um. A trigger warning at the front of this episode or something. The doctor was like, Heather, if you don't poop, you're going to die. Which is a great way to convince an eight-year-old with undiagnosed anxiety. Tell me about it. Oh, my God. I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying and I'm sweating. Oh my god. <laughs> that was a tangent that we probably don't need to actually put in the episode. We'll see how much of that moves <laughs> in. At the very least, I'll probably cut about four minutes of near silent laughter. And it was thus that I saw it with Teresa and Alan. For it was perfectly visible to me that they would very little longer have the strength to preserve near each other, the denuded impersonal relation that they, and that I, behind them, insisted on, and that they would have to separate. Yeah, they're going to want to get nuded. It was my sister, perhaps the more sensitive, who first realized this. It had now become possible for me to observe them, almost constantly. The effort necessary to visit them was so greatly diminished that... I watched her, poor, anguished girl, prepare to leave him. Ha-ha, her haunting has worked. I saw each reluctant movement that she made. I saw her eyes, worn from self-searching. I heard her step grown timid with inexplicable fears. I entered her very heart and heard its pitiful, wild beating. And still... I did not interfere. Because dead sister's a bitch. That would hurt. See, like, that That would, that'd be where I would, like, like, I'd still haunt the guy, <laughs> but I'd feel real, like, my little sister who was on last week, like, 
if I saw her in that much pain and like I was gone and like like honestly like it doesn't like you're gone and like they never acted on it before and everything so I'd totally let her be happy I'd still haunt him because he doesn't really believe me anyway so I would just like <laughs> shove him around the house occasionally except that then he's gonna go bananas oh yeah it'd be funny and now your sister is attached to this guy who is Who's out a of job. fucking mind. Because <laughs> he's being haunted. That's true. That's true. It's going to, like, burn down the house trying to <laughs> exercise it. That's true. Maybe I'd only haunt him for a little bit. And it'd be very subtle. I'd just, like, move his comb. <laughs> I'd move his favorite coffee cup to a different cupboard and be like, Hey, Ashley, did you move the coffee cup? (laughs) No? Honey, you just put it in the wrong place again. Oh, okay. So not completely insane. I just, like, you know, do the the thing. For at this time, I had a wonderful, almost demonical sense of disposing of matters to suit my own selfish will. Well, at least she acknowledges it. At any moment, I could have checked their miseries, could have restored happiness and peace. Yet, it gave me, and I could weep to admit it, a monstrous joy to know that Teresa thought she was leaving Alan on her own free intention, when it was I who was contriving, arranging, insisting. And yet, she wretchedly felt my presence near near her. I am certain of that. A few days before the time of her intended departure, my sister told Alan that she must speak with him after dinner. Oh, that's never a good sign. Our beautiful old house branched out from a circular hall with great arched doors at either end, and it was through the rear doorway that always in summer after dinner we passed into the garden adjoining. As usual, therefore, when the hour came, Teresa led the way. That dreadful daytime brilliance that in my present state I found so hard to endure was now becoming softer. A delicate, capricious twilight breeze danced inconsequently through languidly whispering leaves. Lovely pale flowers blossomed like little moons in the dusk and over them the breath of mignonette hung heavily. It was a perfect place, and it had so long been ours, Alan and mine. It made me restless and a little wicked that those two should be there together now. For a little they walked about together, speaking of common daily things. Then suddenly Teresa burst out. "'I'm going away, Alan!' I have stayed to do everything that needed to be done. Now your mother will be here to care for you, and it is time for me to go. He stared at her and stood still. Teresa had been there so long. She so definitely, in his mind, belonged there. And she was, as I also had jealously known, so lovely there, the small, dark, dainty creature in the old hall, on the wide staircases, in the garden— Life there without Teresa, even the intentionally remote, the perpetually renounced Teresa, he had not dreamed of it. He could not so suddenly conceive of it. Sit here, he said, and drew her down beside him on a bench. 
and tell me what it means, why you are going. Is it because of something that I have been, have done? She hesitated. I wondered if she would dare tell him. She looked out and away from him, and he waited long for her to speak. The pale stars were sliding into their places. The whispering of the leaves was almost hushed. All about them, it was still and shadowy and sweet. It was that wonderful moment when, for lack of a visible horizon, the not-yet-darkened world seemed infinitely greater, a moment when anything can happen, anything be believed in. To me, watching, listening, hovering, there came a dreadful purpose and a dreadful courage. Suppose for one moment... Teresa should not only feel, but see me. Would she dare to tell him then? There came a brief space of terrible effort. All my fluttering, uncertain forces strained to the utmost. The instant of my struggle was endlessly long, and the transition seemed to take place outside of me. As one sitting in a train, motionless, sees the leagues of earth float by— and then, in a bright, terrible flash, I knew I had achieved it. I had attained visibility. Oh, shit. <laughs> Shuddering, insubstantially, but luminously apparent, I stood there before them. And for the instant that I maintained the visible state, I looked straight into Teresa's soul. <laughs> Fucking shit. <laughs> She gave a cry, and then, thing of silly, cruel impulses that I was, I saw what I had done. The very thing that I had wished to avert, I had precipitated. For Alan, in his sudden terror and pity, had bent and caught her in his arms. For the first time, they were together, and it was I who brought them. Ooh. <laughs> oh, damn. You screwed up. Yep. Their consciences probably would have kept them apart. Mm -hmm. Then, to his whispered urging to tell the reason of her cry, Teresa said, Francis was here. Her name's Francis. We got it. <laughs> there it is. Francis. Francis was here. You did not see her standing there under the lilacs with no smile on her face? My dear, my dear, was all that Alan said. I had so long now lived invisibly with them, he knew that she was right. I suppose you know what it means, she asked him calmly. Dear Teresa, Alan said slowly, if you and I should go away somewhere, could we not evade all this ghostliness? And will you come with me? Distance will not banish her, my sister confidently asserted. And then she said softly, Have you thought what a lonely, awful thing it must be to be so newly dead? Pity her, Alan. We who are warm and alive should pity her. She loves you still. That is the meaning of it all, you know. And she wants us to understand that for that reason we must keep apart. Oh, it was so plain in her white face as she stood there and, and you did not see her? It was your face that I saw, Alan solemnly told her. Oh, how 
different he had grown from the Alan that I had known, and yours is the only face that I shall ever see. And again he drew her to him. She sprang from him. You are defying her, Alan, she Don't cried. Piss off the ghost! <laughs> He's like trying to make out. He's like, we have this beautiful garden and it's fine. <laughs> and she's like, my sister's like here. My dead sister is right there. Like, I can still see her. You fucking psycho. <laughs> she's like, I want to do it too, but we can't right now. Dear listener, don't make out in front of your dead sister. It's weird. <laughs> She sprang from him. You are defying her, Alan, she cried. And you must not. It is her right to keep us apart if she wishes. It must be as she insists. I shall go, as I told you. And Alan, I beg of you, leave me the courage to do as she demands. They stood facing each other in the deep dusk, and the wounds that I had dealt them gaped red and accusing. We must pity her, Teresa had said. And as I remembered that extraordinary speech and saw the agony in her face and the greater agony in Alan's, there came a great irreparable cleavage. <laughs> Timmy titties. Timmy titties. And great cleavage. There became a not so Timmy titty between the two she, of them. She left her Timmy titties behind. <laughs> And, and developed great cleavage. There was a giant cleavage between them. Yeah, that's been the problem all along. I know. <laughs> and as I remembered the extraordinary speech and saw the agony in her face, the greater agony in Alan's, there came the great irreparable cleavage between morality and me. In a swift, merciful flame, the last of my mortal emotions, gross and tenacious they must have been, was consumed. My cold grasp of Alan loosened, and a new unearthly love of him bloomed in my heart. Aww. It was now, however, in a difficulty in which my experience in the newer state was scarcely sufficient to deal. How could I make it plain to Alan and Teresa that I wished to bring them together to heal the wounds that I had just made? This is a fickle-ass ghost. <laughs> Pityingly, remorsefully, I lingered near them all that night and the next day, and by that time had brought myself to the point of a great determination. In the little time that was left, before Teresa should be gone and Alan bereft and desolate, I saw the one way that lay open to me to convince them of my acquiescence in their destiny. In the deepest, darkest, and silence of the next night, I made a greater effort than it will ever be necessary for me to make again. When they think of me, Alan and Teresa, I pray now that they will recall what I did that night, and that my thousand frustrations and selfishness may shrivel and be blown from their indulgent memories. Yeah, I hope they'll remember me for <laughs> yeah. this night, and not for the night I appeared as a scary ghost in the middle of their first makeout session. Yet the following morning... As she had planned, Teresa appeared at breakfast dressed for her journey. Above in her room there were sounds of departure. They spoke little during the brief meal, but when it was ended, Alan said, Teresa, 
There is half an hour before you go. Will you come upstairs with me? I had a dream that I must tell you of. Alan! She looked at him frightened, but went with him. It was a Francis you dreamed, she said quietly as they entered the library together. Did I say it was a dream? But uh, I was awake, thoroughly awake. I had not been sleeping well, and I heard, twice, the striking of the clock. And as I lay there, looking at the stars and thinking, thinking of you, Teresa, she came to me, stood there before me in my room. It was no sheeted specter, you understand. It was Francis. Literally, she. She wasn't wearing a fucking sheet. It wasn't a Scooby-Doo ghost. Who came up with that? I don't know, but apparently it was a thing at least as far oh, back as 1908. I think it's been a thing for a long time. I think it's just really funny. Uh, In some inexplicable fashion, I seemed to be aware that she wanted me to make known something, and I waited, watching her face. After a few moments, it came. She did not speak precisely. That is, I am sure I heard no sound, yet the words that came from her were definite enough. She said, don't let Teresa leave you. Take her and keep her. And then she went away. Was that a dream? I had not meant to tell you, Teresa eagerly answered, but now I must. It is all too wonderful. What time did your clock strike, Alan? One, the last time. Yes, it was then that I awoke, and she had been with me. I had not seen her, but her arm had been around me, and her kiss was on my cheek. Oh, I knew it. It was unmistakable, and the sound of her voice was with me. Then she bade you, too? Yes, to stay with you. I am glad we told each other. She smiled tearfully and began to fasten her wrap. But you're not going now, Alan cried. You, you know that you cannot now that she has asked you to stay. Then you believe, as I do, that it was she, Teresa demanded. I can never understand, but I know, he answered her. And now you will not go? I am freed. There will be no further semblance of me in my old home, no sound of my voice, no dimmest echo of my earthly self. They have no further need of me, the two that I have brought together. Theirs is the fullest joy that the dwellers in the shell of sense can know. Mine is the transcendent joy of the unseen spaces. The end. Lovely. It's really pretty. I'm like a very emotional very about it, actually. <laughs> like, it like went from like very like oh shit, oh damn, to like very like again like last week's. What would you do? Like, yeah. like when you mm -hmm. see a like a loved one in pain and you can help them. Like I said, like before we even knew that's what she was gonna do. I'm like, if I saw my sister like that, I'd be like, oh well shit no i'm gonna like do everything i can to make her happy, happy in yeah. that life because it, i'm not in that life anymore it had very much to me the feel of um a lot of those movies that came out i like in the through from the late 80s to the sort of late 90s 
that deal with uh, ghosts love- who are trying to figure out what their unfinished business is. Yeah. Oh, there's a movie. Um, Jennifer Gardner's in it. It's in Ireland. Her husband dies. And, like, all these letters come out after that, like, lead her on this journey. And they lead her to his brother or, like, his cousin. And they, like, along the journey and they fall in love. And, like, it, like she feels very guilty about it. But then, like, the last letter is, like, basically saying, I want you to be happy. And I, like want this for you so it's thematically very similar to this one very similar i'm actually gonna look it up because i've actually i like only saw it once and it was a really beautiful movie and now i'm like fuck was that movie it was really good um yeah catch and release it's called the the one that for some reason came to mind for me because of the unfinished business thing because she was able to move on when she had like figured out what she was doing was it's a robert downey jr movie Um, oh I know uh, what heart and about. souls. Yes, where like he has these four ghosts that grow up with him or something, yeah. and he he ends up having yeah. to like help them oh complete my... their. Oh my god! I'd forgotten about that movie. That's when he was still like Robert Downey Jr. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, no, but yeah, that's like it's a com- like it really is a common thing in movies. Like, there's another one that I can't think of right now. Did um, Casper have unfinished business? <laughs> Casper was just so friendly. I don't that really he had remember to, what that movie was about. Like the movie with Christina Ricci? Yeah. I think he did, actually. He was a kid. Right. He, he was like a child who had died in that house, like like tragically, like of like scarlet fever or, you know, something yeah. like that. And But then, oh, no, I do remember it. In Casper, because he actually like comes back to life. For like the night of Halloween when she has that big dance for all her friends at school <laughs> for like one dance she gets to dance with them and then he like because he's fallen in love with her because he's a teenage boy and like you know yeah. and, and then, then he goes he goes back and then he, to being the ghost that kind of looks like a little spermy I think then he leaves I think then he transcends because ah. he finally got to like experience love or something like that if I remember Christina correctly. Ricci if you're listening <laughs> and I know you are I'm sorry that we couldn't remember what your movie was about <laughs> She probably doesn't even remember what that was, but she was like 12. (laughs) She's like, oh, yeah, that movie that I made in between the two Adams Family movies. Well, if you are still listening, good for you. And uh, please uh, share this episode with someone you like or someone you love. Um, Or if you're a ghost and you're listening, you know, pass it on to your loved ones (laughs) as a way to go, I love you. And if you're not a ghost and you're listening to this, when you're done listening, um, take out your headphones and play it again, but out loud in the open so that the ghosts around you can hear it. There you go. Or, you know, just share it Um, or, you know, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating and subscribe um, and review us. That's awesome. And if you really, really love us, you can also buy us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com. We have a page that's on our website, which is campfireclassicspodcast.com. And you can learn all about us. You can become a patron if you like us even more. Um, We love support. Um, We are an independent podcast, so... 
Uh, it has been pointed out that uh, on our website, the buy me a cup of coffee thing is very hard to find on the mobile site. But it is so very easy to find. To, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, go to the the like the the main, the non-mobile version of the site because it's on the header there. You can find it on every page. Or you can literally go to buymeacupofcoffee.com and search Campfire Classics because I have done that many times to share the link when I'm asked. So there you go. The internet makes it easy. Honestly, if you just type in Campfire Classics in your Google search, you'll probably find all these things we're saying and rambling off at the end of our podcast. Yeah. So do all that, and uh, we we love you guys. And uh, thanks for continuing to listen. And go listen to Figure It Out. Tell Julia that uh, Campfire Classics said hi. And that Heather shared a really embarrassing mental health story during this episode that she probably really like on her episode. Yeah. Julia, if you're still listening <laughs> for some reason and want Heather to share that story on your podcast. <laughs> That's gold. That's podcast gold, I'm telling you. Pooping sells everything. <laughs> Weird poops. We all poop. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Sometimes it's weird. Everybody poops. That's the end of this episode. And on that note, (laughs) this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Oh, I'm going to have more wine now, though. (laughs) 